This is the motherfucking Blood Doctor Show on a Wednesday, as it was and it always should be in the middle of the goddamn night. This is just the way we do it. And you're familiar with it at this point, and I don't need to explain it, but I still do it anyway, because I do everything that I do for me. That's just how the Blood Doctor rolls. I do the show for me. I don't give a fuck. And since zero fucks are given, plenty of new stories must be. So, let's dive. The state of Tennessee is the latest in a long line of states to advance yet another law designed to um, make sure that people can't get the medical care that they need. As the Tennessee Senate, don't believe this has been signed into law yet, but it will be. We know what kind of state Tennessee is. They've passed a law essentially that says anyone under the age of 18 cannot get gender-affirming medical care, which essentially means that yet again, Republicans are after trans kids. Now, if we go and have a look at the history of pedophilia and people being arrested for you know molesting children, you're going to find a whole lot of preachers, pastors, Christians, religious men of many groups. But what you won't find is drag queens and members of LGBTQIA groups because the simple fact of the matter is the reason that Republicans are so obsessed with what trans kids are doing and passing these laws is because they're the pedophiles and perverts who are obsessed with the sexuality of children. It's very simple. If you're constantly obsessed with the sexuality of children and what children are thinking about sexually and limiting what they can think about sexually and making sure they don't think about what you don't want them to think about sexually, you think about children's sexuality way too fucking much. You have a problem. And every single Republican in this country at this point has a problem because they spend probably 90% of their day thinking about the sexuality of children. I'm fucking serious about that. Think about how often they show up at school board meetings, they protest every single Democrat in government, they go on websites and make all these comments about shadow governments and pedophile conspiracies and everyone talks about Jeffrey Epstein all the time and Epstein was a horrible fucking person for sure, um, but literally every single person in the world is somehow connected to him apparently and in the eyes of these people it's not weird that they constantly fucking obsess over the sexuality of children what a child chooses to wear how they dress what they think those things are not your business especially when it's not going on in your fucking household and to sit here and be consistently obsessed with this to be obsessed with, you know, teenagers who dress how they want to dress, who, you know, conform to how they want to conform, who present how they want to present themselves, to constantly obsess over what parts they have and what their sexuality is and who they are sexually active with. You are the pedophile. You have a problem. These people have a problem. They are obsessed with the sexuality of children because, number one, they believe that gender identity has anything to do with sexuality. It has nothing to do with it. Putting on the clothes that make you feel like who you are does not have anything to do with sexuality. And this is the most important thing that people who want to understand gender fluidity or any of these things, you know, again, I'm, I'm answering these questions because I'm a gender fluid person. And the most important thing that you can understand here is that being gender fluid and sexuality have literally nothing to do with each other. Gender identity and sexuality have nothing to do with each other. Your gender identity is simply how you view yourself, how you present yourself to the world. And like it or not, we have certain norms in our society that have been programmed into us that, you know, a man looks this way and a woman looks this way. And we have to sort of align that with what we see when we look in the mirror. And dysphoria is a very difficult fucking thing to figure out. But it's not for old white men to decide for anyone how that's going to go. And... You know, my only hope is that people who live in those states are able to move. I know that that's not possible for many people, but I hope that many people who would be in that situation would be able to get away. It sucks that many of these kids will have to basically go off medical treatments that were recommended by doctors until they're 18. Um, this is against American Medical Association advice. You know, John Stewart 
went on, you know, whatever his Apple show is. And he had one of these insane governors on. I don't remember which governor it was. I, I can, I, I don't have the bandwidth to remember the names of these people, but she was essentially sitting there saying that, you know, she had plenty of doctors telling her why trans or medical care for trans kids was wrong. And he said, but the American Medical Association, you follow their guidelines for everything else. Why not this? And she, of course, didn't have an answer for that question. Because the truth is, there is no answer to that question. Because the Republican Party, at this point, is one of hatred, self-interest, and ignorance, quite frankly. There is no logic or thought or empathy behind anything they do. There is only hatred. There is only ignorance. I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I absolutely stand by it. If you are a Republican in this day and age, right now in 2023, if you are a Republican, you are either evil or stupid. It's one of the two. There's not a third choice. And if you say, well, I'm a financial blah, 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 then the answer is evil. You're evil or you're stupid. There's not a third thing. And that's ultimately why I just don't associate with Republicans at this point, because you can't honestly be like a person with humanity and still vote Republican. And it shows how little humanity there is in the United States and how little people actually care about one another. Your average American citizen is very clearly a monster, a narcissist monster that literally only cares about getting exactly what they want. Because these people are in power all over the country. It's not one state. It's not one place. It's not one isolated incident of an extreme event that no one can believe occurred. It's all over the place. Again, I've said this before. I'm literally afraid to be who I am because I'm concerned how it will affect my son. And, you know, it just continues to be this way. Oh, we'll pass these laws. Who cares, right? No big deal. But again, this is the slippery slope thing. You let them pass this law. They will come for gay marriage. They will come for interracial marriage. And again, we will eventually be back to full-on Jim Crow laws where only white, you know, land-owning men over age 21 will be able to vote or make laws. I mean, that's where we're literally headed right now. That's literally where we're headed. It's either, you know, fucking 1930s Germany or 1830s USA. But it ain't good either way. Speaking of racist dumbasses... Scott Adams, the guy who created comic strip Dilbert, you know, by now everyone's heard this story. Dilbert has been dropped from, you know, every single newspaper in America because he hosted some YouTube show where he said a bunch of crazy racist shit about black people, basically implying that all black people are part of a hate group towards white people and blah, blah, blah. And then Elon Musk came out and supported him, the dumbass that he is, and basically said that the media is racist towards whites and Asians. Well, let's just clear up a couple of things real quick. Number one, the only reason he included the word Asians in that was to try to throw off the like white nationalist bullshit that he was actually saying about the media being racist towards white people. So that right there, the inclusion of Asians is just, just as racist because he's trying to use them to throw off, you know, his, his dog whistle of, you know, systemic racism towards white people, which by the way, number two is the most ludicrous concept in the world. There is no systemic racism towards white people, okay? That's that's literally completely impossible. Systemic racism means that the entire system is built in a way to keep your race down. And in this country, obviously, we know that race is black people. Hispanics, Asians, people of, of uh, Middle Eastern descent, also uh, Native people, also every single system in this country has been designed to hold down people of color. And, you know, it's just true. It's how this country was built. And, you know, therefore, these systems can't be racist towards white people. That is not to say that, you know, an individual can't say something racist to a white person or something. You know, I, whatever. You could say all white people or whatever. But it doesn't fucking matter. That's not actual racism, okay? Racism is systemic racism. That is holding people down simply for who they are on a national or global scale or, you know, even a regional scale, whatever the case may be, that's what racism actually is. Racism is not at its core. You said a mean word to me. Okay. Those things are fucking horrible. Words hurt. But what systemic racism is, is that our entire country has been built to keep people of color down. How, how did that occur? Well, okay. 
after civil war, after the civil war ended, the United States lost a boatload of free labor, right? Because we had been making all these profits and not paying anyone. So we had to come up with a new way to not pay people to work. And that's where the prison industrial complex came from. You can draw a pretty clear line from the Civil War ending and reconstruction to the prison system, creating a new labor workforce that still, you know, these people still work today. There's like volunteer fire crews. They make license plates. They do all sorts of things. They make basically no money and states profit off of this unpaid labor. Again, you have people who for like selling or smoking marijuana are doing unpaid labor. So in California, I can smoke weed all I want. But if I'm a black person in like Alabama, I'm in prison, literally made to do slave labor. Make no mistake, unpaid prison work is slave labor. And it is 100% true. Ta-Nehisi Coates has written articles about this. You can draw absolute clear lines from the end of the Civil War and the loss of free labor from slavery to the creation of the prison state to create that free labor. And I'm just curious who you think the majority of people are in the prison system. We know it's black men. Who were the majority of slaves? Black women and black men. And now the prison system is the exact same thing. And it is a source of free labor for the country. That was what slavery was. And that is what the prison system is today. So when people like Elon Musk and Scott Adams say, oh, these people are racist towards what it's fucking bullshit. It is nonsense because it's literally impossible. There are no systems in this country that are built to keep white people from success. That's, that's literally not a thing. Even things like affirmative action or whatever, all of those things are designed just to give people of color a chance to try to level the playing field that has already been completely destroyed. And yes, this world is not fair. There's no such thing as true equality, you know, true equity. I I understand the world is fucked, but the simple fact of the matter is programs like that are designed to do the best they can to make things better. There is no systemic racism towards white people. The media can't be racist towards white people. The media is controlled by rich white men. The message that they deliver benefits white people every single day. And you cannot sit here and tell me that those people are not out to make themselves look good and protect themselves. Rich white men view themselves as under attack. We all know that. So if they view themselves as under attack, then it stands to reason that they would defend themselves with whatever means they have necessary, which is using the media to espouse their racist views. And now Elon Musk owns the world's most powerful communication tool to do exactly that. And it's fucking disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. And that's the world that we live in. So many white people simply do not understand the benefits of white privilege and what a simple thing it can be and how major an effect it can have on your life. I once had the police come to my house because somebody thought I was trying to break into my own car in the middle of the night. I don't know why someone thought I was trying to break into my own car, but that's what my neighbor thought. I was a person trying to break into my own car. The police showed up and I had weed on me and I reached into pocket to my pocket to get my ID out, to pull my, my ID out of my wallet. And I accidentally pulled a bottle of weed out of my pocket and flipped it and it hit the cop. I pulled a whole bottle of weed out and it hit the cop. And this is before weed was legal in Arizona. And I picked it up and put it back in my pocket and said, sorry, I'm kind of (laughs) high. That was the end of it, by the way. That that was the end of it. Do you think that would have been the outcome if I was a black man? No. 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 Most assuredly not. And it's stuff like that. It's stuff like at a traffic stop, I don't have to fear for my life. I've had a few incidents of, you know, I was pulled over, uh, you know, for not wearing a seatbelt when I was 16. I was pulled over for making an illegal turn once. Um, You know, I've had my instances and never once has a cop pulled a gun when coming to my window. But guess what? If you're a person of color, they absolutely do. 
we as white people go through life on a day-to-day basis not being harassed for existing now sure if i you know cross or dress up you know how i'm feeling that day if i present how i'm feeling that day and people see me dressed as a woman some of them do say shit you know and that's you know that's my burden to bear but it's certainly not you know that, that again that's one person saying something it is not a systemic entire system designed to keep me down because of that i can still go again not be shot at by police for nothing this whole country was built to keep people of color down and the sooner we as white people can accept that we can work to dismantle it because i mean it's not like i understood or accepted this when i was 19 you know it it takes time but we need to raise our children to understand these things so that they will not perpetuate this Racism, hatred, sexism, bigotry, these things are not intrinsic. They are taught. They are learned. And the simple fact of the matter is, if we work to eradicate them, within generations, they can be gone. Now, there will always be factions. There will always be hatred. But it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. It doesn't have to be readily accepted. We don't have to just let things be this way where hate is just a part of the equation and half of our politicians are completely bloodthirsty psychopaths who don't even understand the danger and the ramifications of the words they speak. We don't have to let this go this way. And again, I ask you, if there is a local office you can run for, do it. If there is a person that you know who can run for a local office, encourage them to do so. Work on their campaign. Some of these things you can run and you'll run unopposed and you'll win. You might make a change in your small town that benefits dozens of people. And some of us are just looking to help one person get involved. We all need to do it. Maybe even I'll do it. Maybe I will even practice what I preach. Speaking of practicing what you preach, let's talk about the NBA and about a team ownership situation that I find interesting. Um, Mark Lazary, part owner of the Bucks, has sold out of his share. And uh, Jimmy and D. Haslam, the owners of the Browns, have purchased into the Bucks. Now, this is notable to me for a couple reasons. Number one, Lazary didn't even buy the team that long ago. Like... It's been within Giannis' career that they own the team. And, you know, he was just kind of a hedge fund dude, an equity guy. He comes in, you know, they buy the team at their valuation. He sells out. He makes a pile of cash. He doesn't care. I don't love that in the NBA at all. And it's further proof of what I have said that the men who are general partners, who are managing partners in the NBA – and colloquially referred to as owners, those men do not give a shit about the product, do not care about basketball, only care about money, and yet somehow they are allowed to make decisions for the most important basketball league on the planet. These guys are complete fucking douchebags who do not care about anything but making money, and yet somehow they're allowed to vote on rules that affect guys whose entire livelihoods is playing in this game that are not billionaires, that were not gifted money. I don't like the way that the ownership situation has gone in the NBA. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Players should own these teams, okay? We do not need rich guys to just come in and suddenly be able to, oh, well, I now, I'm going to vote because I understand the business of basketball. Fuck you. You don't understand anything. and It's not good for the league. And second, the NBA believes itself to be the most progressive, you know, forward-thinking sports league in the world. The NBA models itself as this sort of, well, we're at the forefront of, you know, we have the WNBA and we have women as assistant coaches and women as referees and we absolutely believe in, you know, we're as progressive as we can possibly be, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Jimmy and Dee Haslam, again, they own the Browns. And the Browns, as you may know, just gave Deshaun Watson – a fully guaranteed NFL contract before 
there were results to his, you know, litigation situation. And look, I don't really want to talk about the Deshaun Watson thing because there are a lot of people who know a lot more about it than me who have talked about it. And it has been talked about to death. And I don't think that I don't think that I can say anything about that situation at this point that has not been said or that cannot be. I just don't want to talk about that situation because it's fucked. It's it's a fucked situation. It is what it is. The people in the know have reported on it. Check out like, you know, Jenny Vrentas, who wrote all kinds of things. Those are the people who should talk about that. And I wish that some of them would talk about the fact that Peyton Manning committed sexual assault and had to pay multiple times for that. But anyway, that's another issue for another episode. But no, you know what? Let's talk about that really fast. Peyton Manning in college pulled his pants down and teabagged a female trainer in front of a bunch of male teammates. He put his balls in a woman's mouth in front of a bunch of teammates. Then she reported the incident, so Archie Manning, Peyton's dad, spread a bunch of rumors about how she liked to, quote, sleep with black guys. This stuff is all documented, by the way. I'm not making this shit up. She won a lawsuit against Peyton Manning. And then he talked about it, and she had to pay again. So they said a bunch of racist shit about her, spread rumors about her sleeping with black guys to make her look bad somehow because sleeping with black men is somehow wrong. Peyton Manning is a racist and he committed sexual assault. I don't understand why everyone lets that go, but they do. Regardless, the Deshaun Watson situation is fucked. It is what it is at this point. But if the NBA wants to present itself as the most forward thinking league, and we're at the forefront of everything, blah, blah, blah. Every single person sort of agreed that the Browns did not do their homework on Deshaun Watson. Everyone agreed that they pulled the trigger before everything was done because they sat there and said, you know, we've done all of our homework. And then all the victims of the situation came out and said, no, they never even spoke to us. So they clearly did not do their homework. And the Browns are not looked at as a quality organization, as we know. And now they're looked at as a scandalous organization that doesn't care about a very negative situation as long as they can win. Now, again, it's the situation is ugly, but if you want to like show yourself as the most progressive league, how do you not even discuss this? How does this not even come up when considering letting these people purchase into the league because they've shown really poor judgment and sure they have a lot of money. So do a lot of other people who want to buy teams. There's plenty of other billionaires after the pandemic. Lots of people stole money from us during the pandemic. There's plenty of other people to buy teams. Why are we letting some of the worst of one of the worst leagues in like the NFL is regarded at this point as one of the worst leagues in regard to how they treat women how they treat, you know, the LGBTQ community. Like, the NFL is not looked at as a model. Why would we want Jimmy and D Haslam around? This isn't even the first scandal involving Jimmy Haslam. Like, this is not a clean organization. <laughs> this, these are not the people that you want around. And if we are trying to show that we are at the forefront of being progressive, how is just letting these two people buy a team, How is that? how is that a good idea? In what world is that a good idea? This wasn't even like floated out there. This wasn't something that, you know, they kind of floated to see how people would respond. It just happened. And now we all just have to live with two of the worst people in the NFL owning one of the best teams in the league right now. Giannis's career has to be saddled to the Haslams. Really? That's insanity to me. And I don't care if they're silent partners or, you know, only own a share of the team or whatever the case is. Again, we look, the Deshaun, the Deshaun Watson situation is, is very complicated. The fact alone that, you know, Deshaun Watson was not convicted of any crime, but, you know, essentially was out of football for two years for something that he did do. It is agreed that by many people it was done, but he wasn't convicted of a crime. 
So it's hard to just for the NFL to just make him sit. I understand that thought process. But again, Peyton Manning did actually lose a civil suit. He wasn't convicted of a crime either, but he actually had to pay several times for something he was found guilty of doing. So Peyton Manning was actually found guilty in a civil suit, and he is celebrated as, you know, this wonderful person for something, for assaulting a woman in front of tons of people. So there's a racism double standard there, but that's not important because the most important thing is the women who were victims. So it's like, it's all completely ugly, but they just gave Deshaun Watson a contract anyway. And they're just like, yeah, we're not even going to do with that. So they were just like, well, presumption of innocence, we're just going to give the contract. And that that doesn't that doesn't work when you have 40 people making accusations and we know how fame goes. Like, this is a much uglier situation than it's just ugly. And and whether or not Deshaun Watson has grown as a person and deserves a chance to play football again or whatever, like those are separate issues. I mean, I have like really not talked about the Deshaun Watson thing on this podcast because it's difficult because, again, there are more intelligent people to talk about it. But one angle that no one talks about is that Peyton Manning got away with horrible stuff and actually was had a, a jury. He actually lost a civil trial, but nobody cares about that. And I do think there's an element of racism in that. But again, that doesn't matter when what Deshaun Watson did is so horrible. And so it's like we're ignoring all the details about other people because we want to pin it on this one guy and he is horrible and we should do that. But then why are we then just letting the people who gave him a contract buy into the NBA? Like if part of the problem was that they gave Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed contract before these his legal problems were even resolved, then how are those people qualified to be NBA owners? Like, how are those people qualified to be NBA owners? It's a real fucking question. And everything surrounding Deshaun Watson is a real question. Like, should he be banned from football forever? This is a real fucking question. Should he be allowed a second chance because he isn't found guilty of anything? That's a real question, too. The thing is, is that the Deshaun Watson thing is fucked up because we all agree that he's guilty. Like, I don't know of anyone who at this point, especially with his, you know, basically kind of admitting it, but not admitting it. Like, yeah, I did it, but I didn't really do it. Like, I don't think that anyone thinks that Deshaun Watson is innocent. But does that mean that he can never be rehabilitated? Or is it that he has never apologized and that is why he should not be rehabilitated? Or is it that even if he apologizes... Football is a game and you don't have a right to play a game and make hundreds of millions of dollars when you have sexually assaulted women who trusted you. Like this is these are these are the the problems. And and to see the thing is, is a lot of the women aren't even necessarily saying they don't ever want Deshaun Watson to play football again. They're just saying they want an apology and he simply won't do it. And yet, like we're letting the people who looked at all of that and said, that's fine. We're letting them buy into the NBA. Like this is one of the most complicated things ever. Like, like it's, it's awful. And in some ways it's just like, you want to just be like, dude, if you get accused by 40 people, I don't give a fuck about whatever you're done. And the thing is, if people reacted that way, I wouldn't blame them at all. Like, how could you, how, how could you blame people for responding that way? It's like the Cosby thing. It's not one. It's not two. It's 50. Like, there's no fucking he said, she said when it's 50 people. And I think that's where we are with Deshaun Watson. But somehow a grand jury doesn't agree. And now he's back on our screen. And we're we're just left to, like, deal with it. Like, suddenly it gets put on us. And, like, we have to be like, well, I, I'm never going to watch football again. Or I'm never going to watch Browns games. And it just... It's it's a shitty, shitty, fucking awful situation. And the people who were at the forefront of that situation are now allowed to be in the NBA on a team, owning a team in a city that Malcolm Brogdon called the most segregated city that he had ever seen. When Malcolm Brogdon left Milwaukee to go play in Indianapolis, one of the primary reasons he said that he left was because of how segregated Milwaukee is. And now that team is partially owned by two of the worst owners in the NFL. 
who just presided over, you know, completely bungling the entire Deshaun Watson situation. Like, no matter what you think, they handled it poorly. And now those people are going to be in the NBA. I just think this is horrible. And I hope that nothing I have said has offended people. It's just a really fucked situation from every single angle. And now the people who fucked it are somehow going to be in the league that views itself as the most progressive. And I don't even, I don't even know how to, I don't know. I just don't know. Let's actually talk about sports here for a couple of minutes. Um, I had an interesting thought, or at least what I thought was an interesting thought when Quinn Snyder was hired by the Hawks. And this is a really weird transition, I know, to go from you know that whole situation to just talking about basketball coaching X's and O's, but, you know, whatever, let's do it. I talked about on the last episode how I don't think that Trey Young is a coach killer, but I think that he's not a number one option. And I think that what goes with, I think that what goes with this Hawk situation is he actually has sort of an inverse, but the same problem that he dealt with with you with Utah which is that Rudy Gobert is you know a black hole on offense but basically a regular season defense unto himself and you know they really didn't have any wing defense or backcourt defense and so he had to sort of you know use Rudy Gobert to cover for all of that and while it's same here they don't have any you know backcourt defense the difference is sort of that it's an inverse problem because everything was built around Rudy's strengths there, but everything's going to be built around Trey Young here. But it's an inverse problem because it's sort of like, it's still, yes, I have no backcourt defense, but this time I don't have like one person to anchor that entire defense. So I have to solve this problem of no backcourt defense while also building everything around Trey Young offensively because everything defensively there was built around Rudy Gobert to sort of deal with this issue. But now you're looking at building a team around Trey Young that also doesn't have, you know, that level of defensive anchor that also has those defensive problems in the backcourt. But now that is your task with constructing this like heliocentric all around Trey Young, but still somehow working through DeJounte Murray thing. I just think it's interesting because offensively in Utah, I mean, they did a lot of stuff, but it was kind of like. You know, it's Donovan Mitchell's team. And, you know, Conley's there to facilitate and, you know, go barrel catch lobs. But it was Donovan Mitchell's team. And now you have to kind of figure this out with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and all these things. And how does DeAndre Hunter fit into it? How does Bogdanovich fit into it over, you know, this period? Whatever the case may be. But I just find it interesting because previously it was like, okay, I have to find a way to build everything around this incredible defensive player who lacks you know, really any sort of offensive skills. And now it's like, okay, I've got to build everything around this incredible offensive player who, you know, lacks any sort of defensive skills. And you have to figure out a way to kind of do what you were doing. Like everything was built around Rudy and he let Donovan, you know, run the offense. Now everything's going to be built around Trey and who's going to, you know, run the defense. Is Capella going to be, you know, a Gobert light? I mean, he certainly isn't at that level, I don't think, but, um, you know, who knows what, you know, Quinn Snyder may be able to construct to, you know, build him up or who knows what it'll be for Okongwu, um, you know, as time goes on. I just think it's interesting that going from a situation where he was doing everything he could to mask the flaws of his offenseless seven foot center, he will now be doing everything he can to mask the flaws of his defenseless six foot point guard. Um, and again, while the backcourt defensive problems are still the same, you know, again, there's the backcourt defense was also really terrible in Utah. And, you know, Gobert solved that problem. Well, here you're not going to have that solution. So you got to find a way to kind of patchwork the defense while you're building everything around Trey Young. I just think it's interesting. Now, we know what Quinn Snyder has done. Um, he's been a very good coach. But, you know, I do think, again, this is a situation where racism plays in because Quinn has never been to a Western Conference Finals. He's never been, you know, to the top of the top, but he's viewed as one of the best coaches in the NBA. Now, his teams were routinely in the top 10 
uh, you know, in offense and defense, or at least near them both. Um, you know, they were very good teams. And, you know, that's not to say that he's not a good coach, but a lot of those teams also started really horribly, then went on a hot streak, then fell apart in the playoffs. So it's like, yeah, maybe they were good. Maybe they were mediocre. And the thing is that, like, he's held up as one of the best coaches in the NBA and just got a major contract and is viewed as, you know, this incredible, unbelievable coach. And I just don't, you know, he's good. He's decent, but he hasn't even, like, won anything. Like, we all trashed Doc Rivers for his coaching, but he still did win a championship. And Doc has blown a bunch of leads, and I understand all these things, but he still made it to the highest level. That is something that matters. You know, having a ring really does mean something, even if you stumble a lot after that. You know, he's got a ring against Kobe, you know, especially in this generation who takes, you know, everything Kobe did is, you know, this is the greatest dude ever. I think a ring against Kobe really means something. So I do think it's interesting that Quinn Snyder gets – you know, all the respect. It's like how Daryl Morey is viewed as, like, the best GM in the NBA. It's like, really? Like, he doesn't have rings. Like, he's very good. And I understand that, you know, in the NBA, it can be difficult because markets and stars and blah, blah, blah. But Bob Myers drafted the Warriors dynasty. Now, did Kevin Durant come in in the middle and help? Yes. But, you know, Steph Curry, Draymond Green... You know, these guys are, these guys were, you know, they drafted them, Clay Thompson. So he's not even referred to ever as like the best GM. So, you know, maybe in really smart circles, but, you know, people constantly talk about Daryl Morey and it's just like championships do matter. And Quinn Snyder is, you know, people are kind of like, well, the Hawks are getting one of the best coaches in the league. And it's like, okay, maybe he's good, but like, like, what did Quinn Snyder do that was so amazing? He coached a pretty good team that has a nice home court advantage, that has always had a nice home court advantage, that couldn't really do anything in the playoffs. And, I mean, yeah, you got to the second round a couple of times. Okay, that's cool. I mean... I I don't I, like like Monty Williams has been to an NBA Finals and he is not talked with, you know nobody talks about Monty with the reverence that they talk about Quinn Snyder and I think that that is I mean I think it's racism I do I think that there's a certain sense of like white coaches are smarter and so we need to talk about them as geniuses I do think that happens so it's not that I don't think that Quinn can succeed with the Hawks it's just that I think that. There are some maybe outsized expectations because, again, I think the roster is built wrong. Like, I thought that before Quinn Snyder was hired, and I still think that. And maybe part of this hire is having him help reshape the roster. And maybe, you know, when we see the new Hawks going forward, like, oh, yeah, that was, you know, that was the right move. But everyone is just kind of talking about this like it's this like super home run. And maybe. But Nate McMillan got this team to the Eastern Conference Finals, and you jettisoned him pretty quickly after that. So maybe there's more difficulty here than people want to let on. I don't know. couple more things. I honestly thought that the Russell Westbrook thing was going to be like an unmitigated disaster for the Clippers, and they're 0-3 since he signed. So, I mean, that certainly doesn't necessarily portend well going forward, but... Offensively, I kind of understand what the Clippers were talking about when I'm watching these games with Westbrook. So it's kind of funny because I posted on NBA Reddit, you know, is is this Westbrook thing actually working? And someone posted, everyone posts this the, during the first quarter, just wait till they lose, then come back and post it. And lo and behold, that person was right. <laughs> they went on and lost. Um, but, you know, these people don't kind of understand the question I was asking. And the thing is, is that, you know, the Clippers basically said, you know, we need someone who can move the ball. We need someone with energy. We need a real point guard because we don't have one. And that is just a fact. Like, the Clippers have not had a point guard that can, like, play point guard basically since Lou Will left. Like, truthfully, like, that's the last dude they had. The Lou and Trez pick and roll was kind of like the last thing. 
that like was real point guard play for the Clippers because after that they had Pat Beverly who just you know he's not a point guard like I mean he defends point guards but you know he's not like he can't like run a pick and roll effectively he can't shoot you know Pat Beverly is just a fucking asshole on the basketball court that's literally all he is and so the Clippers have just not had a point guard and you know they had Reggie Jackson again Reggie is not a point guard he's a shooting guard and he's a good player who can who can you know have nights where he's balling and hit a bunch of shots and dish a bunch of assists you know Reggie can play but a pure point guard just views the game differently you know you see the way that Chris Paul plays a pure point guard Obviously, we understand I'm trying to get shots for everyone else. We understand that thought process, but it's not just about that. It's about keeping the offense moving. It's about getting everyone to their spots. It's about sending the first pass that goes, you know, to the next guy. So I'm not even getting the assist, but we're setting up, you know, a double pass to the guy in the corner and making sure everyone's in the right position on defense, like, or running the fast break, everything, you know, having a point guard, although Chris Paul is not about the fast break, I understand that. But the point is that it's just about orchestration. And at least offensively, I understand what the Clippers were saying because having Russell Westbrook out there does make the Clippers offense look a lot more fluid because, you know, the Clippers offense is a whole lot of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, dribbling around. And then there's, you know, the ball ping-ponging around the perimeter to the open shooter for threes. And it works, but... It's limited when it's not working, when no one's having a good shooting night, when the defense is locked in. They don't have anyone to break it down off the pick and roll. And so I kind of understand from that perspective. Now, again, they're 0-3. Russ is you know, a black hole on defense. It's not necessarily working. But that may be the solution to their problem. And maybe it's not Russell Westbrook per se, but I have kind of thought that this Clippers team maybe has just reached its you know, peak, and this is just kind of what it's going to be. And, you know, they're going to be decent, but not great. But it may just be that they need a real point guard. The John Wall thing didn't work. Now the Westbrook thing, it's probably, again, probably not going to work in a major way. But if you were trying to retrofit this roster and you're like, okay, we're going to use Zubach's contract and we're going to use Morris's contract and we're going to use Terrence Mann as the one good player because he's a wing and our two best players are wings and we're going to get ourselves a point guard. Like, I think you might be able to do that. Like, I think you might be able to, I don't know exactly who, I don't know what the exact situation is, but I think there's a way that the Clippers might be able to retrofit this roster with a point guard who could actually push the pace a little bit, play defense, and then that might actually work for them going into next season. I, I just, I, I'm watching this with Russell Westbrook and maybe he's not the answer. He's probably not, but that kind of player would be the answer because they just don't have it and they haven't had it. And is, you know, is Westbrook what he once was? No, of course not. Is he, you know, even necessarily a pick and roll maestro? Well, with the guys that he develops chemistry with, yes, but it just, other than that, it can be shaky, but you know, you know, the Westbrook Thomas Bryant thing was working when, you know, off the bench for the Lakers. And there are dudes that Westbrook kind of has chemistry with and it kind of works. And I just think that if the Clippers want to continue with this Paul George Kawhi team, they've got to stop trying to just have as many switchable wings as possible. And they've got to find themselves a point guard and stop trying to just generate enough pick and rolls out of all their players that it, you know, approximates a point guard in the game. It's not working for them. Now, I enjoy watching the Clippers fail and I don't want them to get better, but just from an objective basketball analyst standpoint, I think that this is at least revealed that they need a true point guard. That's the solution to this team. And however you want to go about reconstructing your roster to do that, that's Lawrence Frank's problem. But I do think that that's something interesting that has come from this, at least through these first three games. The offense looks different to me. It looks way more fluid. And I just think that's because you've got someone out there who's really about moving the fucking ball. Which is funny to say about Russ, considering his career-long penchant for stat padding, but what are you going to do? Last thing I want to say, I had two dudes score 71 this year. Donovan Mitchell and Damian Lillard. We know Book got 70 earlier in his career. He was like 19, though, when he did it, so it's more impressive. But I will say this. I've made this claim on Twitter. I'm going to back it up. I think someone's going to get 82 in the next five years. And the reason I bring up 82 is obviously 
because of Kobe's 81-point game. You know, that being the highest-scoring game in the modern era. We all know about Wilt's 100-point game. Um, I don't know if anyone will ever quite get 100, but I think someone's going to get 82. Just with the prevalence of shooting threes, someone is going to have a night. It'll be Steph or something who he hits 10 threes in the first quarter. And then it's like, you know, suddenly you're in position and, you know, now you're gunning for it. And, you know, maybe you get some, you know, good fouls. You know, and that's the thing about that game. I looked up the stats because I was just curious. Because that's the thing is, you know, Damian Lillard made 13 threes in that 71-point game. Kobe only took 13 threes in his 81-point game. He made seven of them. He he was 18 of 20 from the... um from the free throw line. So he scored 39 points from the three point line and the free throw line. And then everything else from the 81 points was just twos, which is kind of just really fucking ridiculous. When you think about it's, it's an absurdity, you know, to score. What is it? 42 points from two to hit 21 shots inside the arc on top of the seven threes and 18 free throws. Like, that game is ridiculous. And so I think even if someone eclipses Kobe's, you know, 81, I don't think it will be as impressive unless they do it in a similar way. Like, again, he only took 13 threes, which, you know, again, that's kind of a regular thing for, like, your top-end shooters by today's standards. But, again, Dame hit 13 the other night. In He hit 13 when he scored 71. Kobe took 13, he scored 81. I just think that's interesting. I really do. You know, 20 free throws is a lot for sure. You know, he made 18 of them, so he certainly cashed in. But, you know, that game was just interesting. And, I mean, everyone knows me. I'm certainly no Kobe stan. I'm not a Kobe guy at all. I'm not. I'm a Laker hater. And uh, so I'm not, you know, sitting here trying to, oh, Kobe, Kobe. That's not me at all. I just think it's interesting that Kobe, that game is – you know, it's one of the greatest, like, two or three individual regular season games of all time, um, for sure. You know, maybe maybe the greatest. Uh, again, if you consider 81 points in the modern era better than, you know, 100, then, yeah. I mean, it's probably the greatest regular season game of all time that anyone's ever played. He just balled out. You know, you nobody can do that kind of stuff. <laughs> and Kobe did. And, you know, I'm just – I think it's interesting that now we've had three dudes get into the 70s in recent years and – it has a lot to do with the explosion of the three, and I do think someone's going to get it, and I just wonder what it would look like. You know, how would, you know, again, is anyone going to hit 20 shots from in the arc again and then still get up 13 triples and 20 free throws? Like, you know, Kobe must have taken every single shot that night. You know, he his final game, which we watched in Long Beach, um, you know, he he was like 5 of 20 from 3. He took like every damn shot. He scored 60 points. It was an amazing game, you know, and he still didn't, you know, <laughs> he, he, I don't know if he hit 22s in that one. Like maybe he did. I don't know. It's You know, I, he hit in a number of free throws. He had a number of big shots. Maybe it was. That game was ridiculous. I don't know. It just, it's a, it was pretty incredible. And I miss Kobe. Like the thing about Kobe was, even though, let's see here again. This is the thing we we've idolized and lionized Kobe, and he had the whole sexual assault situation. Which again, does that mean that we can never? Because he admitted that he felt like it was consensual, but she said it wasn't. So like that was part of his admission of guilt. So does that mean we can never discuss Kobe again? I mean, the shit is fucked. Like it's. Life is complicated and ugly. And it, honestly, that's kind of one thing I try to talk about in this show is like, sometimes there's ugly facts about things that you have to delve into. And it's not always pretty. And it's not always fun to talk about. Um, but sometimes they need to be said. And so, like, I'm sitting here lionizing Kobe, all these incredible things he did on the court. He may have done something pretty shitty off the court. And again, how you look at that day, how you look at his admission of you know I thought it was consensual but it wasn't you know how all of those things can color how you view him it's just complicated but on the court Kobe was an incredible villain and he was you know the best at kind of taking your heart out and killing your team and you know he had the great battle with Nash in the playoffs and you know he had the game winner and then the Suns came back and won the series and 
you know, there's been all kinds of, you know, great battles with Kobe over the years for the Suns, for the Spurs, for the Blazers, you know, for everyone. He won a lot of them. Um, and then, you know, we all know what happened. And it's, you know, it's a sad note to end this podcast on. It's a sad note to remember. But it's just a note to, you know, you got to love everyone around you because you, you never know. You never know. And also don't ride in helicopters because even they're just not safe. And if the richest of the rich, most famous people can't be safe in helicopters, just please don't ride now. It's just, it's a scary thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage people from doing what they want, but it's, those things are fucking terrifying, man. Be fucking careful about the choices that you make in life. That's all I got to say. This, this episode is complicated. This is the complicated episode. Shout out Avril Lavigne. What up? In any case, that is the Blood Talker Show. I hope that nothing that I said here was offensive to anybody. I wasn't trying to take antagonistic angles or bring up difficult points. I just think there are certain angles to things that haven't been considered. And sometimes I wonder what other people feel about them. And there you go. I will say this. As I always try to end on a positive note. There are so many things going on in 2023 that are so horrible. There's shootings, these horrible laws and all these things. Take some solace in the fact that one thing is true. The New York Jets still don't have a quarterback. And that's really funny. (laughs) Love everyone around you. They need you. Peace.